is fueled by fireball. Ignite the night. I thought you were going to burp then. <laughs> I, I was holding something back. I, <clears throat> Ignite the night. There we go. Bit better. Well, you said that it's sponsored by Fireball, but what is the podcast? Oh, yeah, no, we are Real Life Rockstars Podcast. Yeah, I wouldn't say we're Real Life Rockstars. <laughs> no, no, no. We, we, we interview the Real Life Rockstars. We, we talk to them. We don't consider ourselves Real Life Rockstars. <laughs> real Life Interviewers. Um, we're, we're real life industry people in the sense of what qualified the name and what we're doing originally was this whole thing where so many people, whether you're actually doing corporate work or working for the band, it's not just about touring and getting up on stage anymore. You've got to be working every minute, whether that's going home slinging on a high-vis jacket like me and Mike do and going out there and earning a buck. Um, or whether you're sat down designing merch for your band and um, maintaining that side of things. So we wanted to really um, celebrate. That was the whole point originally, wasn't it? Mm. It was to celebrate all of these incredibly hardworking people. So that's why we do what we do on this one. Because something new is what we do on our show. On our radio show, on yes. our, Which is Mike James Rock Show, in case so you haven't realised. Uh, um, yeah, so I'm Mike. Oh yeah, apparently this trend's better for people picking us up as well. Thank yes. you. Shout out to Straight Out of Popcorn for that tip, because um, they they had the same discussion. He's Mike. I'm Dan. Yeah. And so it's quite obvious on their podcast which one's ever. I think. To to a certain extent, yes. Because um, she's been on our podcast. And for those who don't know what the Mike James Rock Show is, we have been running a heavy alternative radio show for nearly twelve years now. I think we've softened. Um, we well no because back in the day we still played some weird ass shit. I remember like, we used to, I used to play Machine Head every week when we first, when I first started off, and just so that uh, they could see that I was a fan, and I ended up getting the interview. So it, it works. Yeah, <laughs> persistence. <laughs> <laughs> but I um, I remember the earliest time where you left me and somebody else in charge of the show, like years and years and years and years ago. Yeah, I didn't let you do it again for like seven years. <laughs> it's because we started with everybody dance now, um, <laughs> which is what we do. Um, and uh, just for those who don't know, he is the Mike James of the Mike James Rock Show, and I'm <laughs> you're the Rock Show. I'm, I'm a, no, I'm apparently thanks. Oh, yes. Yeah, you're Mike, and I'm thanks. Um, because, uh, well, nobody seems to realise that um, I exist, even if they're speaking to me in person, um, which is uh, fantastic. Great fun. Um, so how can people find you, Dan? Uh, well, I'm Devon Dan, yo, with two ends on Dan. Um, and basically it's stupid pictures of my life. Um, or inspiring mental health stuff is generally what I do. Funnies, inspiring mental health, or pictures of my feet and cereal is my is my general forte. Occasionally, I chuck a cheeky nipple in there as well. There is quite a lot of high vis jacket action in your Instagram feed. Yes, yes. But only one of me, and that's that was right at the beginning of my Instagram feed, and that scared me enough that I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> well, you, you go for the. You have to wear the full high vis like uh, PPE. Oh yeah, I go for the trousers and uh, and the uh, the. the um, well, I've got a hard hat now yeah, as well. Whereas I just sling on a uh, um, high-vis waistcoat, um, which uh, is soon to be given a bit of treatment uh, to make it look a little bit um, cooler than uh, what it does. <laughs> you um, can put some studs on it. Uh, well, I'm actually going to pay a shout-out to High Voltage uh, Clothing. <laughs> Amazing. Um, friend of ours uh, called Gav Bolt. Um, check him out on social media. He fronts ACDC UK. Um, and to be honest... It's not just the fact that he's a friend of ours. They are actually really, really good. 
Um, they've band done, or, yeah. the, or his clothing? Well, all of it. Um, the you can check the band out under ACDC UK. They've just launched a video of what they're like live. If you're wondering whether or not we are sort of blowing smoke up your butt, um, but high voltage clothing as well is uh, something he's just started. And to be fair, I think he's doing rather well. Uh, it seems to. And he's just done a custom T-shirt as well um, of his own uh, logo, which is yeah, it looks cool. So, so we know what you're going to be repping on Instagram soon. Though. Oh yeah, no, I'm going to. Have, um, but I'm because I'm uh, I'm weirdly neurotic about my own appearance. Um, I don't tend to wear brand name stuff. Um, mostly, um, it's my silent, uh, not so much now, but my silent protest against people giving you shit about wearing uh, the wrong band to the wrong place. Because I would never wear the right band to the right place. Um, and Which is why we went to Bloodstock wearing pink hoodies. Exactly. Um, and I, I, <laughs> I wanted to, uh, um, at least for me, um, not... Uh, people sometimes find interviews with me interesting anyway because I don't look like the type of person that would be talking to you about your band. Um, so I decided not to be wearing uh, T-shirts that people then didn't want to talk to me because I represented certain bands. Uh, mm. so. But if you think... It if people think you don't look the part to become a metaller or go to you know a heavy rock festival or be into alternative music I, I, I raise you Winston McCall from Parkway Drive I raise you fuck you basically because <laughs> he, he is not what you would quintessentially say well, Parkway looks is like a, a metaller and he is in one of the fiercest heaviest crushingly awesome live bands you're ever going to see at the moment and I raise you Thy Artist Murder at Bloodstock where he uh, did that now viral video of him taking off the Hawaiian shirt or undoing it part way through we celebrate the people that don't look metal as much as the ones that we do look yeah. metal but the reason I raise a fuck you is not at you is that <laughs> anybody that says that clothing matters I love metal because when I see some chavvy dude or some you know, indie kid, or um, when we're at Boomtown, uh, some uh, ravers. Exactly, ravers threw down hard in the pit. Man. Exactly. The the thing I've always loved about metal is no, everybody is welcome. Because I wasn't a metalhead when I first started liking metal. You know, I was just this random kid that was uh, probably wearing some fairly cringe-worthy, embarrassing clothes. But I was always made to feel welcome at metal gigs, and I try and not forget that um, and do that whole us and them thing. You know what? everybody's welcome at heavy music if I'm there. Which is why we like to cover things like Boomtown and Reading Festival because it's a mixed bag of everything. Like, um, what have you been listening to this well, since our last podcast? Okay, well, um, <laughs> this is not going to help the um, like necessarily the, the wide open sort of thing but I've actually been obsessing about As I Lay Dying's new album. Because I like them before. So metal. <laughs> I know. I like them before the incident with Tim Lambesis, but I try and remember that he has served his time, and we should take that as the rehabilitation that that process is designed to be. Yes. I feel a bit weird about it. It's not like I'm suddenly going to be listening to Lost Profits again, because that's just a no. Really? But, yeah. I also did some research into Azalea Dying when he first came back, and I watched the interview that the entire band did about what happened with Tim as a band. And it was that made me feel a bit better about liking them because basically the band gave him the hardest time out. Did of they roast him? Um, not in the interview, but apparently when he went back to them, like it was a reckoning of emotion. Like uh, they're saying that it was it was just brutal. Truth was brutal enough, and uh, if they're willing to give him another chance, that's kind of the bar I'm taking on the music side of things, you know. Okay. Um, so that's been one of them, but. 
uh, the other one has been Lindsay Sterling's new album uh, because I love Lindsay Sterling I'm a massive fan of violins and uh, so yeah Lindsay Sterling and she did that crossover with Amy Lee that we played on the show this is true um, so that I've I've been half metal like I kind of half metal half classical exactly I've been I've been close very which close. kind of almost sums up you know how varied we can be so what have you been listening to <laughs> <laughs> I have been listening to a lot of UK drill music in the last fortnight including when I turned up and you you were just like I'm, I'm really about this and then you started giving me backstories and histories to various things and I was just like wow this is like when we first met like what was it 15 17 years ago <laughs> When you were a dance, uh, you had hair. You love, like, you always love rock and metal, but you were a dance DJ at that point. I know, right? And so, um, at that, from that time period back, shall we say, ten-ish <laughs> years, you can give history on a uh, dance music like there's no tomorrow. Um, and wouldn't that, quite go as far as to say it's dance music. It's definitely urban. Mm. Well, your previous one was oh, dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah your previous incantation. Um, and at some point, I do want to take your interview ability and throw you at some of the older greats for you to do a sit down and like 20 years on conversation with these guys because you've been up there, you've done it with them in Devon and stuff like that. That would be quite an interesting thing I think we could do for this podcast is... and also <laughs> The maybe, history of Mike. Yeah, or maybe dispel some myths because there's this whole thing <laughs> from uh, heavy music where we look at dance DJs and go, but you just turn up and press play on a laptop, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> and I and I want to break down what goes into being able to do that, what production values you have to be aware of, and you know what what hones the craft because it's a. Uh, I love um, electronic music. Um, that's one thing that we twin on is. Uh, mentally, I, there, there's there's differences. Like I'm definitely more of a euphoric trance sort of boy than you are. I think more of a hard hard dance kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anything that's, I, th- I think that's why I'm sort of back towards metal because yeah. I was always when I was a dance DJ it was always the heavier darker side so mm. like when drum and bass came along there was like real dark and dirty drum and bass I was into or when breakbeat came along I was always into the the dirtiest fattiest gr- like grimiest kind of beats so that's kind of why I levitated towards the, the dark and heavy have side. always been heavy to be fair mm. like have always been heavy yeah yeah um, and to be fair, I'm not sure if we've even talked about this like away from a microphone for God knows how many years, but I still remember the point where we kind of uh, realised the similarities that we did have that was going to forge a backbone of shit that we did from that point onwards. Because there's one band, I realise this, there's one band which um, has actually kind of unified us quite a lot as like a show, friendship, like what we've done with that weird crossover. Is it the Venger Boys? It's not quite the Venger Boys. But there's one band that has kind of defined us as the years have gone on. And it is a very popular band, and it's not the sort of one that normally I'd attribute uh, this type of thing to, but it quite, it does landmark our career in many, many ways. Slipknot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because not only have we done, like, obviously the recent headliners, but one of our first years together, um, I think the first year that we did filmed interviews and the first year I was interviewing at Download was when we um, partied um, very drunk styles to uh, Slipknot. Yes. But before that, what made us a show um, as well was we drove to Cardiff um, in the early days of uh, being mates. Um, it was like, that was one of the ones... Pre-show. 
Yeah, that was like around the time that we did the Herman Lee stuff as well. So it was real early days. But going back even further to when you were still dance DJing and that was sort of just just petering out is we were sat in our previous job, the first place that we met, first yeah. job that we met, and Joey Jordison dropped his drum solo. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, exactly. like, and we, we managed to get a copy of it onto our computers at work. And just sat there watching it over yeah. and over again. It's like, oh, he's, going up he's spinning around. So it's flames and lasers. Like the and... By the way, listeners, this is the first time that Joey had done something like this. This like We were amazed by it. To the point where even Papa Steer loves that uh, drum solo um, uh, just going up and I showed it to my nephew once and he was just like jaw on the floor kind of he's like what? I was like dude you can do that one day if you really practice <laughs> that's the thing so that that's how far back Slipknot goes for us is that was one of the things that made us realise that we we're both metalheads because then after that we were trading off bands and various things like that so um, excuse me See, you can tell this isn't radio. You've sworn, you've farted, you've belched. I've lit a cigarette. <sighs> Rebel. Mm, mm. <laughs> um, we haven't actually told our listeners um, who's, who's our guests on the show well, this no, week. No, no. Well, it's because we're trying to drop the radio show professionality, aren't we, and just catch up a little bit. Cause, uh, I like the way you still think we're a professional radio show. Not even slightly. Um, professional no. skip. <laughs> <laughs> but just before we do that um, oh, you still don't you want, you want to te- can I tease it right just because I want to bang out the shout outs that are now regular shout outs it's not worth teasing anyway because anyone that's listening to this has already clicked on the file with I was the thinking, image on it I was thinking that I was thinking that but quickly my shout outs Mr Sandman Games on Twitch bring um, me a dream um, and then Greg, uh, check out. He's um, a regular. He's a regular listener, but he, he is, also he's the he is the OG. And he does amazing artwork. I know. Um, which is Greg does art on Instagram. Um, our main man, who's been uh, uh, getting his game on over the last couple of years, being uh, Robert Percy. Yes. What a legend. Um, then of course regular shout out now because uh, the love which her um, like is being shown between us at the moment is brilliant. Is Alex Irons. Love you, sweetie. He sent us love from the US of A. Mm, mm. So we sent some back. So I have a special shout out that I want to do this uh, this podcast. Can't say this week because it doesn't come out weekly. This episode. This episode. Uh, there is somebody I want to shout out because um, they have been absolutely kicking butt on some really important stuff. And it's somebody. Oh, nice Hi, one. Um, and it's somebody that um, sort of on a professional interviewer, presenter sort of basis as well I really look up to um, and that's Sophie K yeah man Sophie K has been absolutely killing it recently and like I say on some really is important writing, issues is she writing for Metro or uh, are they just picking up on a lot of her stuff I'm not sure if um, Sophie's really like in many ways I don't think there's anybody better from like our side of the industry so like press and everything like that at getting her stuff promoted she's really really good well we were with her she used to be on um, Total Rock with us yeah started out in the same place um, uh, yeah and even then you could kind of tell that she was very hungry well, for it and, the, but actually in a kind of passion kind of way not just a hungry because I want to be a celebrity no not even slightly is it like, like she wants to she just wants to help people in, in the industry a bit like ourselves kind of thing. Like, and years and years on from that point she's doing that and uh, I was quite surprised in many ways that sometimes I think it happens when you know you're male white from the UK is I for- didn't realise some of the challenges that she's faced over the years 
because she's opened up about them a lot recently into like a couple of different articles and I just I was sat there like I already liked the girl a lot and I was just sat there after and so I was just like damn and you're do like, you've done so well with so much adversity so I just wanted to do a special shout out on one of our platforms because well done like you're awesome you're more than welcome to come and have a chat with us or we'll come uh, and we'll we, come up and I, have a chat with you if uh, if people would be interested in us going deeper podcast studies with Sophie K on some of the stuff that she talks about that would be amazing yeah. um so uh yeah Sophie K we might just uh, see if we can uh, record keep one an eye you. on your inbox yes so this week's uh, one, um, now I've done all my uh, shout-outs. Have you done the shout-outs? Are, are you all done? I am all done. That was the reason I wanted to do it, because I didn't want to forget the cool stuff that was in my head to say. Uh, okay. Uh, this week, we have got Therapy. The band, a special guest. Um, I was going to really tease it, but you just dropped it like... Straight out. Um, and we did this one at 2000 Trees. It was, wasn't it? Yes. Um, it and was hot. And this one was um, a little bit based on um, an interview that happened with Therapy in our hometown a while back. Yeah. Where we touched on some stuff that we thought might be really good to do. So we, we put the feelers out to Therapy and just went, look guys, this is the podcast, this is what we're looking to do. You guys seem to have like a really unique take on basically the music industry changing and what to do these well, they've, days. they've managed to weather the storm. Uh, you know, they're, they're a band that have been going for... 30, yeah, 30 years now yeah. as he says in the interview coming up but um, they, yeah they, they've had peaks and troughs as other bands have and I think they've like, kind of found their, their lane now and well, just I think progress on I think they're showing their lane from again we've uh, as we always do is we re-listen to the podcast uh, that we've recorded just before doing this bit um, and one of the things that really struck uh, like sort of stood out for me with this one was them saying um, that They've always known who they are, like mm. from the beginning to now. Um, and this one, this one, I'm really like, I remember thinking it as we recorded it and then obviously got reminded when I listened to it back. I remember thinking that this one is a, it's like a weirdly reassuring one to have done for bands out there because uh, what we really do is break down some misconceptions of what therapy career looks like, what the guys view their career like. Yeah. I found myself liking them even more after this uh, chat because they they are so down to earth. They really are about what they do. And like one of my favourite moments was he's like, "We're not buying Ferraris, you know. We're we're a we're, we're a, sustaining and we're a sustained a band. Yeah. yeah." And he's like, "Not the rock star life. We're just living a life." And he's like, "But that is exactly what we've aimed for from the beginning." And they also, you know, they are living a life where they can travel a lot but they're seeing the world whereas you know if for instance they they were a lot lot bigger than they are now in their career mm. for a band at 30 years in say someone like you know if they progressed in their career the same way acceleration the same way Metallica had yeah. they, they would not be able to go and see the cities that they're seeing now so they're they're taking positives from where they are at their level at their age in their career kind of thing so they you know they can go and tour Italy but actually go and drive around the vineyards and, and things like that actually enjoy being on the road and, pl and playing the gigs and do meeting the fans and stuff is all part and parcel whereas if you you know if you are doing much bigger gigs a lot of the time you're off doing press from first thing in the morning well, until sound check and, and if you're recognizable enough as well i mean yeah. um, like i've seen some people um sort of kicking off about uh, some of those bands out there at the moment doing the mask thing um but I mean, even on this podcast, we've had Jace Lewis turn around to her, and I think I mentioned this in the interview coming up, is uh, that 
he he doesn't like that fame and recognizability side of what he does is he is literally about the music and mm. about taking the music to the people um and i think that in some ways um and i'm not saying that this is anybody to blame or anything like that it's a it's a byproduct of um, things changing around us, but I think people have forgot that it, it, it's more than okay. It's perfect to want to just basically live off your band, get a decent message to people, and sing your songs that you wrote. Exactly, but go home and you know shop at Morrison's, um, and you know have a have a reasonable sized house, yeah. all of this sort of stuff. We don't have to be chasing this old-fashioned rock star idea, which again, which is why we've called ourselves real-life rock stars, is. You know, for bands starting out there, it is a satisfying enough life to lead, to just live a normal life. That's it. It's being content and be, you know, living within your means of what you're doing. And, and, and you can do it. that where your your job is your band and nothing else. Like that, yeah. that, that, that is the aim. But There are some people that work in offices and progress up their career slightly and they're just happy because it suits their life. And, and it's like with us, um, like we've we've had a, an interesting time over the years. We spoke earlier about the fact that Mike's uh, um, been a, um, a different DJ at points uh, yeah. to what we do now. I've I've I, even done weddings and pop music tours. Yep, um, I've dipped my foot into the band member lifestyle, never with any success. If I'm completely honest with you, um, like first I tried drumming, um, realised I was bit too dyslexic to do that then tried uh, doing vocals and nothing ever got it um, off the ground um, but even with stuff like that and uh, this attitude that we've had is what's kept the rock show going for um, you know nearly 12 years is we are actually quite content with what we do like we like talking to people we like the fact that uh, we can still support and um, you know the small bands like this year uh, one of the ones that sits in my brain is as Flames Rise um, at Teddy Rocks is yeah. a band that we didn't have booked, didn't come through a PR, didn't have a PR, but had a good attitude and a good um, sort of uh, nous about them because they, they contacted us and just went, is it okay to apply for an interview? And it's like, well, you could have been a bit cheekier than that and we still would have given you <laughs> one. Um, but you know what, I'm, like, this is the thing. and we're, we're proud of the fact that we are one of the longest standing um, sort of publications out there um, that even though we are answerable to no one except you know uh, reporting bodies um for and that's why i enjoy uh, swearing on this podcast um <laughs> but uh apart from that me and mike are only answerable to each other and we're best mates so we we can do not like what we want but we found contentment in what we do um and that was something that i really picked up listening uh, to therapy is they are quite content with where they stand in the industry, what that means on a day-to-day, real-life basis, and that's awesome. They've, they've, yeah, they've ridden the, the peaks and ridden the troughs as well. Yeah. And it now seems to be a lot more smoother for them, and they see where they're going, and they're still, still churning out bangers. And and they 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 also they've got, um, as they say in the interview they got um, sort of some things that they can say well no we we've, we've never done this in thirty years we're not going to start now and it's just <laughs> like yes therapy well done there was a good bit in it as well about um, getting front covers of magazines and how much it meant when they were starting off compared <laughs> to the possibility of how it means now for artists oh, that front was brilliant cover, front covers are important but there's so many more outlets out there like would you rather be on the cover of a, a magazine or be 
talked about by a blogger that's got out you know a million plus uh, views every day kind exactly. of thing it's, yes. it's, it's a completely different kettle of fish and they've weathered it all when they talk about that so we should stop with the spoilers really and just crack on with it press the play button Real Life Rockstars Podcast um, The interview we have for you this week on Real Life Rockstars is with two members of Therapy introduce yourself guys Hello there I'm Neil uh, Cooper drummer of therapy. Hi, I'm Michael McKeegan, bass player from Therapy. And we thought that it was a really appropriate time to get you guys to come and chat to us because you're actually in your 30th year this year. Yeah, this is actually, we did our first gig in 1989. We kind of count the 30 years from our first release, which would be kind of start of next year. But um, yeah, that's us. Yep, 30 years. <laughs> and, well, crazy. Uh, that you guys have been through from when the industry was very different 30 years ago um, and there was essentially no internet um, everything was still run by the um, sort of bigger companies out there so you had different promotion tactics to having to survive now so we thought well we'd see firstly um, you know how how it's changed for you guys on your perspective and uh, what thoughts you had on that because it's kind of giving you guys a vehicle to talk about things like the how much the industry has changed over the years yeah, no, absolutely. When we started the band, I suppose, um, you know, no mobile phones, no internet, blah, blah, blah. You know, if you wanted to find out something, you kind of had to go and go to a library, look up a, you know, an encyclopedia. You wanted to go on tour, find out where you're going. You had to have a map. You had to have a bag of coins for a payphone to ring the promoter to tell him you're lost or there's roadworks, you're going to be late, stuff like that. But I think even then, the background we came from was kind of a like a DIY punk thing you know, where a lot of the gigs were organized by fans and stuff like that. And I think a lot of that was to do, was being from Northern Ireland because there wasn't really a scene per se as such. There wasn't any music industry infrastructure. There was no real record labels or anything like that. So it was okay. very much a DIY thing. Uh, we, we, we were fortunate enough, enough to talk to the guy, the boys in Ash um, last year it was. So they've kind of grown up the sort of the same style as yourselves. So they like come out from uh, Ireland and exploded in the uh, mid to late 90s uh, on the sort of like almost like the, the ride of anti-Britpop it was more sort of you guys were heavier at the time uh, then that whole scene kind of dissipated and moved on but you guys like managed to carve a lane for yourselves and still managed to maintain the 30-year career how have, you, how have you gone about that is it do you have to step back at times because there have I'd say there have been times when there hasn't been huge influx of uh, therapy gigs or albums coming out and then all of a sudden there's, there's another push and then there's that, you take a bit of a quiet time as well is that balance like a work-life balance or is that just you working out how to do the next move within the career um, well we you know we, we always joke we didn't really have a plan per se and I think that's really done us a lot of positive because I think you know we, we still meet well, meet a lot of bands, new bands and stuff, and some of them have what I would call quite unrealistic aspect expectations, <laughs> rather, of what they expect from being in a band, what they want to get out of it. You know what? Our thing with the band was when we started, and I think it's still the core thing of what we're about now. We like music, we like doing what we're doing, and it's never about... I want to buy a sports car or in 10 years time I want to be on American Idol or I want to be a movie star I'm just this is just a stepping stone type thing we yeah. we're into music we're into punk and metal we like playing our own tech on punk and metal and um, that stood us in really good stead because 
once you stop being on the front cover of magazines if that's the dream then it's kind of over you know what i mean and for a lot of bands that happens so quickly yeah more so even these days you know there's a very fast turnover of hot new things and um well, we were 52 a, 52 a year isn't it hot new yeah, things at least ab absolutely yeah. you know bands don't really get a chance to make us a, a second album let alone a third album these yeah, days yeah. And I guess it's, it's an awful pity you know so i think you kind of um we always kind of carved our own path before for example we were on the cover of magazines or seemed to be doing well industry-wise mm. we kind of had our own little underground fan base probably because we created our own thing in northern ireland we ran our own gigs you know we put you know spoke to our friends who were in bands ran these events you know not very well i should add you know probably <laughs> lo lost money you know um got ripped off by pa companies and all the rest but it was all a learning process so that when we were ready to kind of you know signed a major label and do stuff like that we did a pretty good um, grounding in the aspects of it so when MTV stopped playing our videos for example it kind of wasn't a big deal because he never played them yeah, you okay. know yeah. five years previous you yeah. know so it was kind of was it interesting having that uh, moment um, of potential uh, rock starness um, as you were saying like the front of the magazines did it ever feel like that was better than the other side of it where you were just playing do you prefer being slightly out of the limelight because on one of our previous recordings we had Jason Lewis saying to us that he did not like being on the front cover of things did not like that side of it he just wants to get out there and play music um, would you would you want to go back on the front of magazines these days is that something or is it just again you say take it as it comes if it's there go for it yeah I, I don't think we aspire to be on the cover of magazines, but if people want to put us on the cover of the magazines, <laughs> of course. You know, I, okay, fair comment. <laughs> grew, I grew up reading, you know, uh, Kerrang! magazine and Sounds and Enemy and stuff, you know, and a lot of my heroes were on the front cover of those magazines. And it, it was quite mind-blowing that we had our front covers with the likes of Kerrang! and Enemy and Melody Maker and stuff in the early to mid-90s. So it's, no, but don't, don't get me wrong, I would never knock it. You know, it, it is really cool, but it's not the be-all and end-all of being in a band, you know, f far from it, to be totally honest. It's not really anything to do with the creative process of making a record or making records that resonate with people that will have longevity and enable you to step forward artistically, I suppose. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of a bit of fun, really, you know, and we were lucky that we did actually have a taste of that and be able to see, well, this bit of it's cool, this bit of it's kind of naff, and this bit's you know, uh, embarrassing in some ways, but you know, I'm glad we had that chance to actually taste both sides of it and work out there's always a kind of a, not compromise, maybe more of a middle path yeah. that you feel comfortable with personally. You, you managed know? to do it all before everything was recorded, whereas bands nowadays, they've got to be spot on straight away because it's getting recorded and people will like rip you to shreds if you're out of tune slightly or you miss a beat or something, whereas Back in, in oh yeah, the 90s and the early noughties, nothing was filmed and everyone, if it was a bad gig, people would have to talk about it. It wouldn't be viral within five minutes of you falling off stage I, or whatever. I, I think you're right. I think the difference between the, the sort of two periods, if you like, mm. is that, I might go saying like the front covers of things nowadays, it's like the, the front covers are almost like they kind of grease the wheels to get out there and do shows. Whereas back yeah. in the day, as kids, we'd be reading the front of, uh, you know, Kerrang, et cetera, and it kind of, it kind of put a band in a certain position, whereas I think now there's so many outlets and they're all, let's be honest, they're all fighting for that little bit of coverage. I'm talking about the magazines, never mind the bands, you know, yeah. the, the magazines are struggling as well. So it's kind of the, 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 
it's changed so much. It's kind of it's kind of crazy. Really. If you were once on the front uh, cover of uh, Kerrang, for argument's sake, you knew full well you'd have a great bill at festivals like this, or you know, Reading, or d Download, or whatever. Nowadays, that's a whole different ball game because the following week, it's someone else on the cover, and they're kind of on the cover for odd odd reasons nowadays. Yeah. Um, so there. you know, I'm not same as Mark said. I'm not knocking it, but it is different. And I think that's the as soon as you realise that. You've got to just do what you do. I think the one thing with the, with the band like Therapy is because the mindset was there already, it's kind of like doing our own thing. If people do dip it, uh, sort of dip into it and enjoy it and promote it, if you like, with the magazines and radio, and then great. But if not, we're quite stubborn in that sense that we just will do what we do anyway yeah. in that kind of sense. To uh, actually make the music and uh, speak to people through it. Yeah. Absolutely, and, and that is one thing that I, I, so I joined the band in 2002, but I, I still get a massive, massive buzz out of exactly that. If we're sort of in a rehearsal room and we all get together and we make a racket, you know, myself and Michael kind of, we obviously listen to Andy's lyrics as they come together, which is a, which is a great thing to hear. But yeah. then to kind of go out and do shows and people kind of the way um, it affects people or people come, come along and say how certain things have helped them through things, that's a massive buzz still to me. Yeah. Um, you, you can't you can't kind of beat that so that's you've got the front cover of things but then these little things like that that make the difference to me well this is partly what we wanted to focus on because we see the trends of uh, people chasing down the wrong part of being in a band so as you say going for the magazine covers doing explosive things like you know um, a couple of years back uh, I think it was Warp somebody wanted to be the crazy guy at Warp so ended up jumping from a, a rigging that was far too high um, and ended up injuring people. Well, that, that, that happened with, with a therapy gig in Exeter. That did, actually. I, I think it was 94, 95 Trouble Gum Tour. Just as the gig finished, someone jumped off the balcony as everyone was uh, exiting out from the venue. Really? Yeah, yeah the, guy, yeah, the guy that jumped off the balcony landed on two people. He was a student, he got expelled and they got broken bones. It was, it was taken wow. very seriously by the, the student union there. I know this because I used to work there. <laughs> well, that, that was a fan. Like, yeah, <laughs> so that, was just a, that was just a fan. These days you've got uh, bands doing it um, instead, which is uh, quite crazy. Um, but uh, partly what we see is, because um, obviously we're strictly a publication in the sense of our show, and um, so we've uh, you know had people make suggestions, shall we say, because we, we run what we do and we always have done. We're independent uh, from the beginning. Um, and we like, tried to run as a magazine for about a year and a half, I think it was, and just decided it was burning us out too much to try and keep up with how instant things had to be released. Uh, because it was every day. And then you see people Especially like... when you've got a full-time job. You, a story drops at 10 o'clock in the morning, a new tour's announced or something. you got to wait. Uh, if you're at work, you've got to wait till you're on your fag break or on the loo or even your lunch break. And by then, everyone else has done it and the general populace are promoting that tour for you because it's just one post by you guys and everyone else does it for you. So it's, it's a crazy world. And yeah, so the, the, the speed, I think the speed of thing now, things now is uh, it, it's great, but it, it's also detrimental as well because, like Michael said, with, with new bands, I mean, I, I'm, I'll hold my hands up. I, I genuinely don't know how a new band, if anyone asked advice, I, I, I don't know how to start because if you do a great record, you're kind of uh, you're making a rod for your own back because people, it's almost, and we have this thing in the UK where it's people almost like don't want to then big up your second album or your third album because the first one was the hot one and then they kind of want to be seen to be moving on to your old news and yeah and, and that's some, that's a quite it's a shame really for for everything for the you know we, a funny thing keeps being mentioned to us about almost like headliners of shows yeah you know you've, you've got your big you know your iron maidens and your food fighters and your slipknots and 
and people kind of wonder why is it there's a, probably 10 bands that can headline these massive festivals now. It's because younger bands just aren't being given any kind of place to, well, uh, to the, grow. The, those you know? bands, your Metallicas and Maidens, they don't have to headline festivals because they can go and hire out Twickenham or Wembley and do yeah. a, a stadium show themselves. And there aren't bands that are breaking through. They'll, they'll break through and do uh, an O2 arena or a Wembley arena, but there's no bands that are really breaking through and doing stadium stuff by themselves. Yeah, yeah. So in, I, I think personally, in, in the future, festivals will have to become smaller and more niche market stages, I yeah. think. Your main stage, yeah, you'll, be, you'll probably be more your heritage type bands, but your heritage bands now are kind of well, almost the, yeah, the, yeah. the 30 year career. I don't want to call yeah. you a heritage man, but. That, that's <laughs> no, I'll, I'll take that. I'm very proud of it. <laughs> well, that, that could have quite easily been the end of the podcast. <laughs> no, but that's, that's good because like, if, if you've been around for 30 years and we, we, we did see it, you, you get that kind of initial, you're the bright, shiny new thing. Everyone loves yeah. you. Everyone loves you. Everyone's talking about you. And then there is a peak, and probably it, there is an element of overkill because yeah. everyone wants a bit of your everywhere. And it's yeah. like, oh my God. Not well, those it's like guys the people again. that are promoting it's, it's you almost kill. sometimes don't know how much they're feeding the um, one album thing that you were talking about. Because we have seen it is uh, bands are so scared these days. We even talk to them about it in interviews when they're writing their second album and just kind of go, look, don't worry, there's at least one outfit out here that will play your second album and give you love no matter how uh, the rest <laughs> of the internet feels about it. Because the pressure is so high That's on mad. People. I know, it's crazy. Like when I think when we were doing our second album, we didn't... Excuse my French, we didn't have a fucking clue what we were doing. We were just going, this sounds good in the rehearsal room. There wasn't even, all we knew was we, we, the three of us, wanted it to be better than the previous one, better production and better songs. That was it. There was no, and that's why we, we took those steps forward and tried different things. Yep, we didn't funny. play it safe, and I think we, we've never really played it safe. And I think that's, like I was saying, it's kind of once you go past that 10-year point of being in a band, it's like life, there's ups and downs and dips and all that, and then you kind of come through the other side and then people are like, and I think sometimes your audience, as it grows with you, you know, life, their life's happening as well. People get married, they go to college, they get into jobs, well, they do whatever, they have kids, and then they kind of suddenly find themselves with free weekends and free nights, and now they go and see therapy, and it's like almost like you're rediscovered by a younger generation, but also yeah. by the older fans who, like, I'd say in the last five years, I'd say five out of ten people we meet, it's someone saying, I haven't seen you since 93, 94, 95, I came tonight, absolutely loved it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it's fantastic, it's good. So you kind of, it's almost like a rite of passage, isn't it? You, you kind of have to stick around to get that heritage. You know, people go, oh, you're legends. It's like, really? I think of, you know, Black Sabbath and Motorhead are legends yeah. to me, you know. Yeah. So they're, kind of, they're still kind of almost going, aren't they? Like, yeah, those, still those legends. There, and the music's still there yeah. and they've got a lot of respect because they kind of get kept going when maybe their music was a bit out of favour or people exactly. weren't really that interested in what they're doing because they'd seen them like 20 times in the previous 10 years. And I, I, I totally get it. I'm like that with bands as well. Well, we see it with uh, certain ones. Uh, I'm, uh we just, because we've been doing the interviews for so long with uh, Trivium, because um, they're one of my fanboy bands, is they this year came back to Downloads main stage and they're like, we can't believe it. Like, where where has this like resurgence of fandom come from? And it's like, well, strictly, it's probably everybody that did have to get life commitments for the 10 years that you haven't played main stages and then getting a download ticket because they know that's where they can go to watch a load of stuff and realize the band they watched 10 years ago, maybe 15, um, is actually there on the placement and even if they haven't listened to an album in between times just being on the billing of somewhere like Trees or uh, Download will sure, yeah. get people back into Absolutely and I think doing. you know with, with 
Trivium are, are a good example because they, um, you know, they kept on making albums and they kept on touring and they're uh, through bad press, uh, particularly and, and making here really as well. good albums and yeah. they're shit hot live. So th that's a classic example of a band that you know people are refocusing on them because of that. If you get, it's like I say, if, if all of a sudden people you get two bad reviews for your second album, you think, oh, yeah, give up. You know, you, you're not really giving yourself a chance. And Trivium obviously have like ourselves and like a lot of bands, you kind of just have to par through it if you're into what you're doing. Well, the one I thing is, sorry, oh, I was just gonna say, on. I think as well, what's really important for for bands is like getting out there and, and, and playing around the world. I mean, the one thing we're really lucky with is that we can play most territories and do okay, you know, and yeah. that's that's work. And it means you, 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 you know, you do have to, it's a slog, you know, a lot of travel days and things and you kind of, the shows are always brilliant, but it's in, in between time, you know, um, and some, some people just don't enjoy that. And that's part and parcel of, to me, being a, a, a musician that's, that's doing it professionally and making a living at it. If, you, if, you, if you're not prepared to do that, but, but it also means that if you go to certain territories that are a bit fickle, shall we say, <laughs> you know, well, so be it. Yeah. You can always go and play elsewhere and still have a great tour, you know. Um, that, that's the weird thing. I think sometimes people kind of focus on perhaps one place. And when you fall out of favour, well, that's that. It's kind of thing. Like Mark said, it's ups and downs, and that happens everywhere. But you've got to just keep going, just keep and play as, as, as far afield as you can. I think a lot of bands nowadays as well always seem to have like a, a secondary occupation. Like they'll have a, a, an amazing merch uh, thing that they all run themselves in their downtime when they're not doing the, the band yeah. stuff, just to keep themselves afloat. Ha is that something you you've had to do yourselves? Uh, obviously, right in the heyday back in the '90s, I'm guessing you weren't doing other jobs as well. But have you? Is that something you've had to step back on at times where the band haven't no, been? No, I, I mean, I mean, we're, we're still kind of all the merch comes through us in that sense. I can yeah. understand. To be honest, I can understand why a young a young band would go. Well, we're good at doing this, so if it keeps, if it pays the rehearsal room and allows us to do our own, you know, I, I get that. I do understand why bands would do that. For us, though, we've we've never had to. We're still in control of everything that comes through the merch and everything. We're kind of in control of that, but we've never taken it and looked at it as a business. But I, I understand why yeah. young bands would. Yeah. yeah, and we don't. You know, we we're very lucky. We're able to do this professionally, I suppose, and have been now for thirty, well, twenty-eight years. You know, the first two years it wasn't very professional. <laughs> <laughs> believe you me. You got yay! We got paid in beer. Yeah. Two years later, I don't want to get paid in beer anymore. But um, I need a receipt for that exposure, please. <laughs> <laughs> But it is, um, yeah, we, we've been really lucky like that. And I think um, it's like, you know, uh, you know, yeah. like I say, we didn't, we don't spend our money on Ferraris. Do you know what I mean? And well, we manage your expectations is what you're saying, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes we've been quite uh, pig-headed musically and kind of things that we will and won't do. And I think we could, being purely mercenary, we could make a lot more money exploiting certain elements of the band. Yeah. But there's certain things we're not comfortable doing, which is what you learn over the years. And I think sometimes there's a pressure on bands. You know, I don't know where it's from management or from labels. There's kind of a lot of, you know, paid meet and greets and oh, those, kind of things. Yeah, yeah. those kind of things. And I totally get it. You know, if if you want to meet, for example, you know, a hero of yours, a big hero. But I don't personally, I don't would never put a price in my time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not gonna. If someone has bought the record and come to the show and God forbid bought a T-shirt, that's that's incredible. You know, that's enough. That's enough of a, a commitment from for me. Do you know what I mean? And it, it's it, we're always available. You know, we don't hide out in the hotel all day and turn up five minutes before the gig and disappear five after it. So to make to 
that kind of thing. Just, just, I mean, to me, it's bang on. It's like, just come and say hello. And what it does as well, right? I'm sorry, I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here. Go for it, He's go pointing. For it. <laughs> it, it's a class thing as well. I don't, just because someone's got money, I don't want just the person with money to be able to come and say hello. That's what pisses me off. It's like, you know, oh yeah, the rich come in. It's like, it's, yeah. so it creates a class division yeah. and that winds me up. It's like, if someone's there and they've been good enough to come to the show, like Michael said, buy the album or whatever, and they just want to come along and go, oh, really like that, thanks. That's, great to me i don't like the fact that someone had to pay 100 quid to do it that's bullshit that's that is bullshit that's yeah, punk that's punk as fuck isn't it yeah absolutely and that's you know that's that's one of those things you learn from experience and we've just been quite stubborn about doing it because i'm not i don't want to charge some guy whatever to stand well. backstage in a cold corridor <laughs> To get warm beer. drinking warm beer to get <laughs> you, you could just try and book an interview. It's, it's lots, lots of standing around. Yeah, exactly. Or you know, nine times out of ten, you, you know, we'll, we'll be walk, we'll be watching the support band at the gig or at the merch stand or walking about. I think it's when you, yeah. you you make these things. But I do understand some people are there's, there's pressure there's to do that. And if if that pays for your van to get from A to B for the next show, I'm not judging. You know, that's but I'm just saying it's just not for us. And that's kind of my thing about you work out your own path I know this is not particularly this is kind of vague advice for people but it's all about doing what your gut's telling you if your gut tells you fuck it I want to charge $100 for people to come and meet me cool go and do it but if it doesn't don't do it you shouldn't feel obliged to do either well the thing which we found on uh, this one because it's a very very divisive uh, subject meet and greets is uh, we first discovered it shout out to Jamie Jaster podcast because partly inspiration for uh, doing this is he was defending his meet and greets uh, because his are like you get a specific goodie bag that is not available anywhere else so it's certain merch that he has that is just for paid meet and greets he's like so he's like i'm not necessarily paying people for my time per se he's like they get to walk away from the meet and greet with something that nobody else can he's like and i don't overcharge he's like and often you know there's like um some of them there's just a lucky bin at the um end of the meet and greet where you can rifle around in Jamie Jaster's assorted old merch and like find a t-shirt sort of thing and apparently people really enjoy it he's like it feels weird he's like because you know I've had good feedback on these he's like but then I see people charging two grand just to get something signed and so there is a difference I think on that scale of course like you've just said I mean Michael's bang on in the sense of like if if he's happy with that and that's kind of worked out that that's perfect it's kind of as long as it's for you my big thing is that no matter what the label or management festival promoter whoever is kind of saying to the three of us okay we, we've got this idea we want to do a b and c to me if the whole thing's a disaster we're the ones stood looking like plums don't you know what I mean, right? <laughs> we would look like assholes <laughs> the biggest assholes <laughs> you know and that's one thing you learn very quickly it's kind of like, okay okay they'll suddenly be in the distance running off you know and yeah. we're the ones so you know just as long as you know i'll just repeat what michael said as long as you're happy and that you know the idea of having the the goodie bags and great if yeah. that's if that works for him and and uh, yeah great uh, so we're not kind of slagging anyone off it's, uh, it's just a, an element of for us it's really not yeah you, you just you pick what works for you yeah. and you're the only person that can decide what works for you and just because other bands are doing it or not doing it don't do it you well, know if the label's telling you to do it because they'll be quite happily sacrificing your reputation for a quick buck. But then it's you guys, as you say, got to get the reputation yeah. back after a bad mistake. But, but, but also, often with a label, you'll find that with labels, if, if things go horrendous 
you know, everything goes wrong, yeah. it's the band's fault. If everything goes right, it's, it's the labels. <laughs> right, okay? You'll find that, right? Now, Sounds about right. To me, yeah. you know, but if you go in off the bat and you kind of say, you're at a meeting and they're going, oh, we've got this idea, because they'll throw ideas at everybody and probably the same ideas at different <laughs> bands, right? Yeah, yeah. And you have to just go, no, yeah, we're all right with that. Absolutely not. And in my opinion, no matter how old you are, if you're 18 or whatever, or 98, a label will respect you for that. To me, integrity if you, if, exactly, yeah. exactly. If you have integrity and you kind of, you know, stick to your guns, don't be full of shit. If you say no and they're going to go, oh, okay, then yeah, we will. That's bullshit. Um, just figure out what you want and what you're happy with, and tell them. I think that that they'll treat you far better. Well, I, in my opinion, just be straight with them. Work out what you want. That's the main thing. Don't just be a dickhead going. Yeah, what should we do tomorrow? Oh, okay, puppet show. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> was that your thinking towards the signing with the new label? Because you're on Marshall Records now, aren't you? And that was a that's a brand new label. Uh, and, and therapy have been on a few labels through their time. Is it more of a, a partnership than them signing you as a, an artist so that they can learn from some of your past experiences with other labels as they become a, a more fully fledged label in themselves? Because they've got some choice acts on there as well. But I'd say you're probably the most Long longevity in their career on, on that. Yeah, label. yeah. I think Marshall so far has been really great, really, really good. We have a good relationship with the the people there, and we yeah we work together. You know, I think you have to work together, otherwise you're going to be at loggerheads all the time, and it's going to, you know, I do understand that they're trying to promote the band and take our music to a wider audience, which we want. Yeah. But we also want to be in control of obviously the music and the way it gets out to those people. So. Like I say, you just have to kind of work with them to see what's going to work and, you know, listen to what they're saying. You know, a lot of it does make sense. I'm not so old school. We want to print up 500 vinyls and sell them at car boot sales around the country because that <laughs> isn't necessarily going to get our music where it needs to be. You know, but you and I don't think need to be doing a Facebook Live story every day because that's also not you guys. No, no, it's... You it's, know, so it's uh, finding that balance between... It's, it's not our thing at all. And so far, Marshall have been really good and I think... Um, yeah, it feels comfortable, and, and you know, the, the guy that signed us to the label was our A&R man at a label, maybe, what, Jesus, 20 odd years ago, actually. Okay. So we do we do have a history there, so there's a very quick, it wasn't like that weird dance you have to do when you meet a new label and mm. everyone's trying to work out what people's vibes are, it was a basic case of, right, that's cool, not cool, that's cool, this is cool, that's not cool, and it was boom, there was no, no one's nose was put out joint, I think, he was very much signing us because he knew the band and he knew the history of the band as well. And he, we had a new opportunity with this label and he also as well. And it's, so far it's, it's been really, really good. I, they're, yeah. they're really good at uh, education as well. Like they're, they're, they, they kind of help people with their amps and their guitars and all that kind of stuff. Well, like, there's workshops. Yeah, yeah, the, the, Are you involved in all that kind of thing? With no, the no, label? no, we're, we're kind of, we're signed the label, which, you know, is, is obviously kind of a a side bit, I don't really understand the structure obviously, but okay. yeah, no, they seem to be quite proactive. I know they're sponsoring the festival here today, yeah. so um, we got some kind of box fresh marshals to use for the gig, so that's always Amazing. nice, you know, stuff like that. So they're, but, but yeah, I, I know what you mean, they're quite good, and I think a company like that, with a legacy and a history like that, it's nice to see them do it, you know. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not about trying to sell really expensive boutique amps to middle management types who put them in their pool house and never play them, you know. They've been in every single gig that's ever happened, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much, yeah, yeah. pretty it's much. Every, it's everyone's basic amp all the way through <laughs> to your middle management and your... Yeah, your, your so it's it's, it's good, it's kind of a, to use the industry parlance, a good fit, you know, therapy with Marshall, you know. Um, endorsement of either brand, you guys respecting the label enough as a band or your tenure, but also Marshall as the brand, respecting yeah, you guys as enough. It comes off belt 
well for both parties. Which yeah, and I think what, what, what we liked about them, I think I can speak on behalf of the whole band, was it probably would have been easy for Marshall to sign a lot of more traditional sounding, maybe more retro rock bands, for example, you know, yeah. Um, but they seem to have signed quite a lot of new bands yeah. and not just retro rock bands that sound like the Black Crows, who I love, you know, but that's, yeah. you know, that's kind of maybe the association. And it's probably quite clever because it's, it's bringing it to... It's packages as well, isn't it? Because you, you get packaged up with the other uh, Marshall uh, acts as well, by the looks of it. Uh, no, that's that's our it. choice. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, nice. We did, we took yeah. King Creech, right? Yeah, because yeah. yeah. they're out on the next uh, the tour. But, um, I'm sure, I'm sure Marshall will do their own packages. I'm sure Marshall will do their own packages, but for us with our tour, yeah, there's no kind of crowbarring in Marshall acts. It, it's the choice is ours, like Michael said. Yeah, it's amazing oh, well, that you've we'll got that level of control. In, yeah, we'll let the guys in King Creature know then, because they're, they're oh, friends yeah, of oh, us. Yeah. They're Please cool. say hello. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're great guys. Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, that was a really good turn. I know, and 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 I think with a lot of those things. It's about learning what you did. You know, our manager always said we never bought onto a tour. Okay. You know right. the kind of famous yeah, thing oh, where, yeah, yeah. where the, the headliner wants, I don't know, a laser light show or an inflatable dragon. So they charge the support band five grand a night for the privilege mm. of playing to their audience. As special guests cost you a lot of money. Yeah, so we never we never were asked to do that by any of the bands we support. And our manager and our agent said, we don't do buy-ons either. So we would never charge a band to come and tour with us. It's a simple thing. Maybe people know what happens, it doesn't happen. But a lot of times those packages are because the bands, the two bands open up are paying for the headliners, yeah. tour bus and inflatable dragon, but not with therapy. It, it's so. crazy because um, it, it feels, you know, that sort of brand recognition where you make those good choices, they do end up lasting longer um, because you're here still now going, well, no, 30 years in, we've never done a buy on. So you know that you've got that respectability with the industry that you guys have never charged for your time either to the fans or to other people. And that's the type of stuff which um, I think does translate a lot of the time to your fan base uh, because we've seen bands like sort of get criticized for massively high meet and greets where you know it's five minutes with the artist to sign a bit of paper and they've charged a buy on to the tour um, so it's only rich kid bands uh, that are being funded by some company or a family member that then can play with them and it's it's definitely limiting the industry that uh, type of thing but it's it's going to happen whether or not we complain about it here. Yeah, and I think you can only kind of control your own little world. I would not judge bands that do that. Sometimes, you know, maybe that inflatable dragon is so integral to the artistic vision of that band. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they are fucking expensive, though. Yeah, we like I've I've priced them. <laughs> you just need to find yourself a, a band to buy one, and you can have it. <laughs> oh, one day the dream, the dream will be mine. Um, no, I think it's it's. Like I said, it's your it, it's your band, it's your thing, it's your vibe. Whatever you want to do with it, you know. And I think you can, you, know, you you can cultivate how to put it a cult of personality. Where you know sometimes people go, whoa, he's a rock star. You have to pay two hundred dollars to meet him, and he's got lasers on stage. You know what I mean? And it builds up this kind of, the, and that the works mystique, for some. Yeah. This mystique, and it works for a lot of people. People are kind of a bit in awe of some people like that. But we're not, you know, we're pretty down to earth. We've music this, fans yep. <laughs> that are really into what we're doing and I think you just kind of have to to run with that I think you know yep well, I guess that's a good point where we can wrap this podcast yeah up. and we've been chatting for ages <laughs> as, as always we could probably chat for another couple of hours but uh, yeah we've, we've got gigs to do you've got gigs to do Great. We've got to go and rehearse so we can do, uh, afford our buy-on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dragon ain't going to buy itself. 
Oh, thank you guys. Appreciate no, it's, it. Uh, it's, been, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you guys and like helping our listeners to de-weave the, the, the weird, crazy world of pre and post-internet music industry. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> nice glad, glad to be of help. <laughs> Thanks very much. Your life podcast. I forgot how much I enjoyed talking to them until I heard how much we were laughing with them. Because mm. some of the... Like, the, some of the stuff they're saying, like just at the, the end there, where he said that he priced up the dragon, just absolutely slayed me. Well, you got to do something on the tour bus, but you know, during the daytime. What, what I like is the fact that they they've really looked into this sort of stuff and um, <laughs> we're buying dragons. Exactly. Um, <laughs> we but, don't have Ferraris because we're saving for a dragon. <laughs> but what I quite liked about that is he's not even saying don't be that type of band because that does work for some people and you know we, we well, as an industry i think we need those kind of steel the, panthers and your black veil brides and, and your muse you muse, know they're just pushing and, and well the thing is is we can't get too stuck in the idea of making everything real you know because when i went to see muse the other day and my other day is now six months ago um Although they did play the other day in the yeah. UK. Um, it was incredible, like the stadium setup. We celebrate the fact that Ramstein absolutely bring yeah. the noise production wise. So there has to be a certain amount of, yes, pay for that big production. Or well, even like Bring Me Now pushing through and bring, you know, it's all just one huge screen around the entire arena or stage and stuff. And so you, you want to be able to go to these gigs because to me, I've never compared them to when we're sweating with 200 people in a tiny venue they're different things they're oh, different yeah, experiences yeah. and i want like and i hadn't been to a stadium one in a while sorry i'm rubbing this in because you didn't get to come um but um i hadn't been in a stadium for a while and i forgot how much i like stadium gigs just purely because stadium production is phenomenal like you think that you get it at festivals but you don't I saw the production for um, Ed Sheeran's last show on mm. his Defy tour that he's just finished this summer in the UK. Yeah. There's one guy in that production for one dude and his guitar. is astronomical. And he still, as he says in this song with uh, Stormzy, grossed half a billion off it. It's off cr- the entire world tour. And the production alone must cost like a third of that. Yeah. <laughs> to tour it, I mean. like Unless they're like hiring bits or they're not doing the same thing all over the place. But the production for that last night I saw of his UK tour was out of it, out of the world. And yeah, yeah. Muse are doing it, Ramstein are doing it, Parkway Drive, I think if they could push through would do something phenomenal. Slipknot's new live shows. Well, Slipknot has always like, been of um, like production value. And in fact, we've mentioned it on the show as well, is... Um, Old Posty, um, we, yeah. we, we are actually fans of Post Malone, but he headlined Reading on the Saturday and closed the festival out that day. And not in a bad way, because he's got, you know, sort of ascensionitis, where he's ascended so quickly that um, <laughs> he's um, like... Ascensionitis. Well, think about it. It was a little bit what happened to the darkness as well. Meteoric rise. And, got, yeah. But, you know, Posty's delivering still, um, and his voice was incredible. He's an amazing performer. I love the sassy bits, I love everything about what he is, but for me, having watched as many headline acts as I have, and same with you, is the production until we hit Rockstar the track was a little bit lacking. Like, there could have been so much Mm. more, and I would love to see what weirdness comes out of Post Malone's brain if he had the right production manager going, I can make this possible, I can make this possible. And that... um, I think that is also down to... 
like dollar, isn't it? It's and do you have a look at ACDC or yeah, their stage? They put their own blinking stage to download like ten years ago, yeah. and that had an inflatable over the top. It had a train that came through it, glass runway and stuff. And they 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 were the kind of band that sort of set that on. I think to be well, we we saw it when we were at Bloodstock one year. Is that um, the the money that was in certain camps and where they were and tour cycles and things going off higher and on higher and everything like that meant that we got in many ways better stage production values from Sabaton at um, Bloodstock than we did from the headliners Trivium. But look at what Trivium did when they um, the tour cycle worked a lot better than that one-off show that they did Yeah, because yeah. Um, Bloodstock was more of a one-off affair I'm a Trivium fan I remember um, and when they came back to download this year they came with the absolute fire um, so you know it goes it goes both ways like you can catch a band in a, um, as part of their cycle where they don't actually have the production in the right country at the right time because the logistics just can't get the equipment well, there they talked about um, therapy. Talked about Trivium just now, but yeah. also in the interview from Download that's on our YouTube channel. Sorry, that's uh, the outside world creeping into our podcast. A very loud bike. Turn your bike off. Piss off. <laughs> What's um, I saying? Uh, yeah, in the interview, they're talking about the whole production the night before was just a backdrop compared yeah. to Download, which is the following day, because that's just where they. Well, they could only us. send the stuff to Download. Yeah. And uh, that was, uh, and obviously, what are you going to do? Um, but that's, we, that's something we should, someone we should talk to, is that an actual tour production manager? Because let's not forget, we had, um, we've seen this before, thinking about it. Uh, just production values are um, affecting what you get. Um, you can say Slipknot again, aren't you? Well, Slipknot for one, but that's not actually the most recent example I was thinking of. Parkway Drive. Oh, yeah, yeah. Parkway Drive, uh, we had. Tour before last, wasn't it? Yeah, we had limited. Um, production values there we had limited production values of Parkway Drive when we saw them the other cycle before as well if you remember because they had the drum rig on them like yeah that's what I was thinking about no no even this cycle um, they had less pyro than they did at some stages oh really yeah in Cardiff you mean? yeah 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 because it, um, there was limitations on it so okay. um, but and again that's capacity and so what do you do if you're a band what do you do if you um, are told that you have to take the tour by your fans to Cardiff but the only venue that can take the amount of people that you need to go has certain building regulations that stop you being able to set shit on fire. Yeah, yeah. Like, what do you do? You you take the gig there anyway, and you do a strip-back production. Well, that's what I mean. It's like, we we should do a podcast talking to... This is something like going into... In, honest, ne- next year or something. We could... Well, do you know who I really want to actually get to do that? Because I think it would be really fantastic. And this is, again, based on our previous interviews somebody that I'm pretty confident is and um, has a massive hand in uh, designing stage production of his own band. Winston. Winston, for mm. sure. Because Winston, in our previous interviews, loves the fact that I don't, I don't talk about lyrical inspirations, I talk about production values of his videos, and I talk about the production values on stage. And when I was like, he's like, what, you like them? I was like, yeah, well, well we're crushed, where you can literally point to which pyrotechnics going on. Dude, lit up! Because we love that stuff. Like, yeah. We've seen it so much, so... Yeah, maybe that's something that we could look to do in the future. Um, and there's a couple of other people, but you need somebody that has stage production to be able to talk about stage production. This is true. Um, but if, uh, if, if, if you, the listeners, have suggestions of people we should talk to... Or and why can, we should talk to or them. Or can hook us up with people. Like, we're, we're open for talking to anyone within the music industry, not just rock and metal. Well, it's like there's a couple of things which I'm potentially working on. Shut up, Mike! 
Where, oh, it worked. He's gone. Um, <laughs> it's like there, me hitting a wasp. And there's a potential, and I'm just work, seeing if I can work out some of the kinks with it, but there's a potential of getting a international copyright um, lawyer, um, somebody versed in it. Apparently he's quite sort of very direct, very anal over um, interpretation. So That's cool. Um, well, got, I'm trying to get, well, I will, I'm not trying, I will, uh, contact like the people with Musicians Union and the PRS people because mm. that's imperative that bands sign up to basically is oh, for sure. how you're going to make dollar and so you know we, we are going to still spot this with some names that you might recognise um, like before we do it but we are trying to build up a bit of a thing where you know, we talk to the people whose names you may not recognise but when you talk and hear what they've actually done in the industry, mm. um, that's why we're talking to them. It's a bit like what we did with um, Emma from Public City, even though she's got the Out of Popcorn podcast. Yeah. Emma is a name. Even Public City as a name isn't necessarily known to every Tom, Dick and Harry fan. No. But if you turn around to them and say, oh, she looks after Deftones for 23 uh, years, yeah, they might uh, have an idea who she is. And, mas- and she's the P- PR for Mastodon and... The, the, likes of, the person that um, believed in Lincoln Park first. Yeah. You know, there's the, the certain credentials that the people that we are um, inviting to come join us. Uh, well, our next podcast is uh, another PR orientated yes. one for bands that aren't as big as Lincoln Park and Deftones. This is, the, the, I'm not going to say who it is, but the next podcast is awesome if you are a band that's just about to look for. PR and want a, you know your first national campaign or this is a bit of a PR startup pack yeah for sure. yeah yeah it's um, th- this this is a a big PR company that looks after some really big important people but they are their their bulk of their acts are what would you say bands that play anywhere between a thousand um two hundred and fifty to a thousand cap venues well, roughly they they know. <laughs> oh. They know their place, yeah, um, and they know their craft incredibly well. And we've worked like with Emma. We've worked with them for such a long time. Um, there's been like these are the people that sort of have the had the conversations with us for the years before we launched this podcast, where we were like, right, well, why do bands not know this? And we realise it's it's not bands being ignorant. It's the fact that there is no handbook out there telling you how to do the things that people in the industry know how to do already. Yeah. So we decided to give a way to do this. And when these guys found out about it, they jumped at the opportunity to join us. And I think that kind of shows in the podcast that we recorded because there's a lot of bouncing back and forth of ideas, uh, very similar. But this is the first time that we've ever sat down on mic with them and chatted about it. So, yeah, um, so that's, that's going to come out in a few weeks' time, I guess. Yeah, and if you like it, like give us some feedback. Uh, Real Life Rockstars Podcast at gmail.com any of the Mike James Rock Show social media um, as I always state on the show and on here it's literally me and Mike running it and you say something nice to us we screenshot it we send it to the other person <laughs> and we go yay day made so like again like, this is this is why we invite people to come and talk to us let us know what you think let us know and I particularly want to know what we've missed so that we can then cover it so if there's things that you think well, we haven't mentioned Fireball for a while um, so we're sponsored by Fireball. Carry on. Um, and yeah, so if we it's uh, if we've missed anything that you think we should talk about, or you listened to our press kits podcast and thought, well, that was great, but you guys didn't talk about this, tell us. Like yeah, we yeah. actually want to know. We actually want to help. Like we find this stuff fascinating. Me and Mike were having these conversations and car trips on the way back for the twelve years that we've been doing this. We make predictions on how we think uh, bands are going to go. 
what festival announcements are going to happen. Oh, by the way, I had a note on my um, thing to just say, don't hate on festivals if they don't <laughs> announce bands that you want to see. Like, these, these things are so complicated and we are aiming, like, and it is on our tick list, again, of different levels and different means to go and talk to some of these festival organisers, the bookers. Do you know why? Because we used to be bookers ourselves on a much smaller basis, but on a yearly event. Yeah. You do not know how difficult it is to put together a lineup that is even going to make 50% of your target audience happy. Like, you get lucky things go well but you get unlucky and things go badly and it's nobody's fault and it's not necessarily the first choice of the bookers but they're never going to come out and say that we can because we don't do it anymore they're never going to come out and say well this wasn't actually my first choice of uh, what happened Mm. because it's unprofessional so if you're not seeing the band that you're necessarily expecting to you don't know what's already been booked in that is embargoed um, within the camp you can't tell anybody well I'm not actually able to do that because we've got this amazing run of world headlining dates that unfortunately means that as we said just a few minutes earlier all of our headline stage production stuff cannot be moved to England if it's download in time to play a headline act that's why we want to talk about this stuff the logistics of putting on any kind of festival, I've done it myself you put on something that even a day festival for local bands, even that is a clusterfuck waiting to happen. Completely. And sharing kits, changeover times, like how many how many guys did we throw at the smallest uh, venue? Like we had something like three times as many stagehands as most places have. Yeah. Um, but that was only because we we were running to such a tight schedule. But we we ended up forming like a line of seven dwarves where we were just passing kit off stage because. You don't realise like the, the what goes into this, but that's what we want to break it down. But if I, you... yeah, when I used to work the actual tour tours, it, mm. it was exactly the same. It's well, I've done so... I've done one of those uh, types of days with you where we got tattooed the day before and then decided to spend the entire day <laughs> lifting heavy equipment. What show that was that? I've got the sticker here. No, it was. That was Europe. Oh, Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, um, yeah. So we've like we've crewed the the bigger tours. Um, but I used to do points. that as a living. <laughs> exactly, and this is what we want to. Yeah. Many decades. <laughs> many, it's many decades now. And you, you gave it away with that. You could have just said <laughs> the amount of years, but decades. Um, so this is again the type of thing that we are looking to answer. Um, so whether you're in a band that wants to know what you have to do to up your stage production. Um, if you want to know um, a little bit more about doing what therapy said uh, just then about what suits you, talk to other bands of similar genre, find out the members, build connections, talk to PRs. Don't be worried if the first PR that you approach turns around and goes, well, actually, I'm not the best um, suited person for you. Yeah. Because there may be reasons why. Um, and again, look into what you're doing. And as therapy said, is don't be an asshole and do things for no reason. But know your product, look at other bands, look at the way that you want your band to be, or whatever your sort of branded uh, thing is, and make sure that you stick with that, maybe with a bit of a compromising attitude from time to time, but do things that are very much within your capabilities. I 100% agree. Mm. Um, I could rant about this for a very long time. Or we could sign off and... uh... Save it for the next podcast, because that's another one which uh, um, is all about the help and uh, sorting things out. Yes. Bikes back. 
the bike is back. So um, literally, I, I swear, like Sons of Anarchy live around where around the corner from where I do. <laughs> but they're they're wearing oh, uh, I can't wearing pink they're, tutus. They're wearing Chris Brown um, bike jackets, as far as uh, the, the internet has told me this week. Okay. It's a bad thing. So anyway, um, thank you all for listening. Drink Fireball um, if you're going to drink a drink. Um, and then when you once you've drunk Fireball, leave a comment on uh, iTunes, a review, or uh, wherever else you're listening, Spotify and SoundCloud, SoundCloud and Acast. There's all sorts of different ways you can uh, big us up, like sharing us on your social media if you like it. But yes, know, we're not at, you know, we're not forcing you to. Just be nice. If yeah, you we're not like we're us. not like sort of hankering for shares, but if you think that people could benefit off this, you know, uh, you know, bands that you know you want us to talk to, get involved is essentially what we're saying. We will notice the shares and we will love you for it. So, um, yeah, whatever you uh, do, we would be very appreciative and it will probably get screenshotted by the first person that notices it and sent to the other member. Aww. Yeah. So until that screenshot comes in, toodles. Goodbye, sis.